I have the privilege to kind of close out this uh, journey through Luke. We've been looking at Luke 5 to 7 with the uh, theme of follow. And you know that uh, little clip, video clip, had many paths, right? It had different, different ways. And that's basically been the theme of the five, uh, chapter 5 through 7 is there's many different ways in which God asks us to interact with him. And some of those things to, to kind of review were taking a, a path that was brand new, that was not uh, paved. It, was, it involves sometimes looking at things that can be very scary, very uh, kind of uh, challenging. And sometimes uh, it involves things that we don't really understand. That's not known. And one of the fallacies, I think, of uh, being a Christian is that you always have an answer to something. Because people say, well, the answer must be Jesus, right? Well, that's true, but that's not really an answer. That's a person, right? And in a relationship, you have to get to know the person to really understand what's going on sometimes. And, and that involves mystery. And that was kind of what Bob, uh, Maria talked about a little bit last week about a, a, a something uh, called, uh, kind of called it divine imagination, but it's mystery, it's wonder. And sometimes as adults, we lose the sense of mystery. And I would define mystery as amazement because God wants us to always have this openness to be amazed, to be surprised, to be able to see something that we never saw before. And so I'm going to have you look at a picture here. And this picture is the passage depicted. And there's three primary characters in the passage that we're going to look at, which is Luke 7, 36 to 50. First character is Jesus. Okay. Second character is this woman. And the third character are all those men, okay? And the, the men are probably all Pharisees. We know one, name, one is named Simon, and he's definitely identified as a Pharisee. It's in his house. So it's a pretty good assumption that Pharisees invited other Pharisees to their house. And, and that uh, is, those are the three people. So what I would invite you to do is before I read this passage, is look at this picture. And is there a character that you're kind of drawn to? Or maybe it's, it's, this is a dumb idea, right? And what I invite you to do is, why do I think this is a dumb idea? Because I'm not going to have you share what, what you see or anything like that. It's just between you and God. And so what I would invite you to do is get in touch with what I call your soul and, and, and your spirit. So I'm going to take a minute, and if you want to just argue with me about what that is, you can come see me afterwards, and, and we can talk about it. But this is kind of a way to, to
to introduce this passage because I'm going to read it and I want you to see if maybe some of those images in that picture come to mind. All right? So I'm going to give you a minute. All right? Father, I know that what you would want each person to know is that you have something special for them. Not because I'm smart, not because of anything that I am going to say, but just because you are a God who desires to, to interact with people, with individuals he loves. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you would say to each individual, I love you. And I have something for you. Something that maybe will amaze you. Something maybe that is painful and challenging. But always something that you would want each of us to know is that we don't journey alone. That, that to follow you is not to follow you as individuals alone, but is to follow you in community, is to follow you with the presence of your Holy Spirit. And I thank you that he is able to take whatever we are afraid of and pour into us that perfect love that drives out all fear. And he is able to take the lie of fear and replace it with the truth of faith. So thank you, Father, for this. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just open whatever you want to open in each person's life. And may they be able to see it as a gift, not as something to, to make them feel bad, but something to give them health, something to give them life. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let's look at Luke 7, 36 to 50. All right? And it starts off like this. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, the woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair on her, of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman that this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered to him, answered, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then he turned toward the woman. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. From the time I came in, 
She has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? He said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Sinner in the, this passage uh, commonly refers to a prostitute in those days. And so the statement of Simon is that she was a known prostitute in the city. And so the expectation was, well, Jesus, if Jesus were a prophet and he, he knew everything, she, he should know that. And so she was not invited. I am sure of that. But somehow she heard about this. And I think part of it was that I think Simon wanted everybody in the city to know he was, he was going to host Jesus because he, he was very into all his preparations and things. And part of his discomfort, I believe, was that this woman, woman shows up who is of ill repute, and that's kind of wrecking his party, right? Because he has all his friends and things, and, and all of a sudden now this woman comes in. And the reason I say the party was, it was the party that was more important to Simon than anything else was Jesus' statement about what he did when Jesus came. If the party were really for Jesus, you don't ignore the guest of honor. And he did, right? He didn't even, he didn't even offer the basic hospitality to the guest of honor. Because I believe he was more interested in impressing his friends, impressing the people. And sometimes we mistake being righteous with trying to be impressive. And so what I want to do here is I want to contrast what it really means to be forgiven versus not. And Jesus makes a, a bold statement here. He he, or he uses a bold analogy. He talks about two people who owe money, right? And somebody cancels both debts. And he says, which one loves more? And Simon says, the one probably that was forgiven more was the debt, the bigger debt. You know, the Bible talks about debt in Romans 13, verse 8. It talks about, oh, nothing except for the debt of love. To each other, which means that love is a constant debt. There's a concept in uh, relationship or game theory called zero sum, and it's also in, in accounting where every debit has to have a credit, and so there's a zero sum, right? Love is not a zero sum relationship, it's actually a deficit, it's a negative sum that you are constantly involved in working toward 
Not to pay it off, because you will never pay it off. But because of the, of the nature of love is to give, even when there's nothing coming back. See, a zero-sum relationship all, is always about, if you're going to put something into it, you've got to get something back that's at least equal, or better yet, right, to get more than you put in. That's the concept of investing, right? You put in, you put in some money, and you get more back. But love is not investing. If you look at the, the cross of Jesus, what he invested in that cross, no one will, is ever going to be able to match it. We're going to go into eternity seeing just how much it cost him. And that cost is never going to be repaid. But we're also going to see that it was because he loved us that he incurred that debt. And what he's asking is, when we understand the true nature of forgiveness, it's not about whether or not we get something back for acting in, as a forgiven person. It's about what we realize that God has given to us and we want to give back. So let's look at what a forgiven person looks like. And primarily, I believe the one person in this passage who, we, who Jesus points out as forgiven, and there could be others, but the one person he points out is the woman, right? The first thing is this woman didn't care what others think, right? She didn't, she didn't care that she wasn't invited. She heard Jesus was there. And I don't know where she met Jesus before, but I believe she met Jesus before, and I believe that he told her that he loved her. And I believe it was the first time maybe in her life that a, a man had ever treated her as more than an object. And I believe that because of that, because of the genuine authentic, sincere encounter that he had with her and she experienced that she just wanted to be with him. And so she comes, right? She comes and doesn't care that all the people are going to be there and I'm sure she knew what they were going to think. I'm sure she knew what Simon would think. But she didn't care because she wanted to be with Jesus. If you're a forgiven person, the one person you want to please is Jesus, not anybody else. It's Jesus. Which leads to the second characteristic. She acted in devotion to God. What she did was she offered something that was probably her most prized possession. That alabaster jar was perfume. To a prostitute, that was the one thing you really wanted to hang on to if you wanted to keep your trade. And she pours it out. And she says, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to give it over to you. I'm going to surrender my whole life. The most, most valuable thing that I've held on to all my life, I'm pouring out over you. And I'm going to give it to you. And she does. And, and that devotion 
also spilled into this third characteristic. She demonstrated an awareness of God. She saw that Jesus had not received a kiss. She saw that Jesus' feet were not uh, washed. And she said, I know that this is no way to treat God. And so that awareness of, of what God was inviting for her to be able to participate in interaction with her, she took. I don't know if she ever had a non-sexual encounter with a man, but this was a non-sexual physical encounter with a man, and it was in public. So she demonstrated an awareness that God was inviting her into a new kind of relationship, a new way of living. And so she did that. She demonstrated that awareness. All of this to say is a forgiven person is going to behave differently than someone who is not forgiven, not necessarily by act, but within their their own attitude, within their own motivations. And that's why I believe God is more interested in what's going on inside of you than what you're doing. Because you can, you can fool me, you can fool, even try to fool yourself, right? You can look at, look at what you're doing and say, oh, I must be a good person. I believe that's part of Simon's problem, right? Man, I, I'm doing even more than my Pharisee buddies. I'm inviting this, this rabbi who's who's stirring up all these things and claiming to be a prophet, I'm going to invite him over and I'm going to show people just how open I am, just what a good guy I am. But Jesus knew, right? That's loving little. That's not, that's not really understanding who Jesus is. So what characterizes an, an unforgiveness or unforgiving person? I think first thing is there's a lack of compassion. Simon looked at this woman and said, well, if Jesus knew who she was, he wouldn't let her touch her. He, he didn't see her tears. He didn't see her contriteness. All he saw was this woman is out of, out of line. It doesn't fit. And maybe even, like I said, my interpretation is it doesn't fit what I want to see happen. This is not why I threw a party, was to have people like her be here and do this kind of thing. Right? So first thing about not really understanding forgiveness is we have a lack of compassion for people. Jesus talked about forgiveness in Matthew chapter 18, and he he uses a similar kind of thing about someone who's forgiven a great amount and someone who's forgiven a little amount. Uh, and it, it's in the context of this king and forgives this tremendous debt. And then the servant who he, who he forgives goes out and starts beating on someone who owes, owes that servant a little debt. Right? And then the king throws the, the guy back in jail because he didn't understand. He didn't, he didn't get it. Right? If you really understand forgiveness or experiencing forgiveness, it's going to be shown in the way you treat people. And if it isn't, 
I don't care how much good things you're doing. You're lying. It's a lie. You have to, if you truly experience forgiveness, you experience love. And love does not beat down on people. In the same passage in Romans 13 I talked about, it says, love does no harm. It doesn't harm. So lack of compassion. Second thing is lack of hospitality. And I kind of touched on that, right? This party was supposed to be about having this guest of honor, Jesus, come. But when the guest of honor comes, he's treated probably lower than some of the other guests. And so there's a lack of really embracing what this is all about or who this is supposed to be all about. If you're serving the church, if you're involved in in Christian ministry, one of the tendencies is to, to make the ministry, the outward thing, look really good. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the ministry and the church is designed to be involved with welcoming Jesus and making him prominent. And when it fails to do that, then it's like a Simon. It's missed it. It's left those who are needy and those who are broken to come to Jesus and weep and cling to him. And it doesn't represent what it's supposed to be about. Last thing was unforgiveness focuses on self. And again, I believe Simon's motivation here was more about himself than it was about Jesus. That what he cared about was what other people thought of him. What he cared about was whether or not uh, the people would hold him in high esteem. Basically, he wanted to have control over the situation. Right? It, w- it wasn't in letting Jesus have a forum or letting Jesus share his heart and things. He wanted to control what was happening. And sometimes in our life, when we follow Jesus, when it gets challenging and things, we want to take back control. We, we want to say, yeah, okay, Jesus, you're, you're in my life. I'm glad you're here, but don't do this. Don't touch this. Or do you realize if I get involved in this, what people are going to think? Do you realize if I get involved with this, it's going to cost me things? And so in our life, to follow Jesus is to say that Jesus, you are all. There's a saying that goes, you'll never know that Jesus is enough until Jesus is all you have. But when Jesus is all you have, you'll know that he's enough. This woman knew that Jesus was enough. She was not forgiven because she did all those things. It says her faith was what brought about forgiveness. You know what faith is? Faith is acting on what is known. If you have an encounter with Jesus, that is a known thing. 
Now, it may not be a, a, what we commonly call knowledge is prepositional knowledge, which means that it's, it's all in statements and, and beliefs and, and certain words and things. But there's a knowing that is not definable by words. It's, it's called a, a knowledge of acquaintance, right? If you ask my granddaughter if she knows me, she is not going to say, yeah, all right? She's not even going to be able to say my name. But if you see me with her, you'll know that she knows me just by the way she acts, just by the way that uh, she smiles sometimes, okay? <laughs> just, just, by, just by the way that, that we have that connection, that relationship, she knows who I am. That's God's invitation to you. You may not have all the words. You may not have all the, the theological doctrines right, and those are important. I think I mentioned before, I studied apologetics, so I can give you all kinds of right doctrines and things. But you know what? You aren't gonna, when you get to heaven, you aren't going to get a test on what's true and what's false. You know, the only true test that's going to, true and false test is going to be, did you know Jesus or not? And that's not going to be based on the amount of uh, doctrinal things that you can spout off. It's not about talking about Jesus. It's talking about, it's, it's not talking about him. It's knowing him. It's being involved with him. A lot of times, as Christians, we become like a stalker, right? A stalker knows a lot about the, the person they're stalking, but that stalker never really interacts with that person. So, so maybe a stalker could tell you more about a person than maybe that person's best friend as far as maybe facts and things. But just that best friend knows that person, really. So God's challenge to us is he doesn't want us to be stalkers to follow him. What he wants us to be is true followers. And a true follower knows him interacts with him. I know I use this term relationship a lot and my wife tells me that's not good. So let me, let me define this a little bit differently, okay? A relationship can mean just like we're all in relationship because we're all in the same building, same room, okay? That isn't enough when it comes to Jesus. It isn't just being around Jesus. Simon was around Jesus. It wasn't enough. There, I've used connection, right? Which means that you have a connection. You know that person and you can talk to that person and things. Simon could talk to Jesus, but that wasn't enough. It's actually all three things. And the third thing is interaction. You have to have, to have a relation, to, to be involved with Jesus is to have a relationship, to be in his presence, to have a connection, to be able to talk to him. But it means talking to him. It means receiving him. It means interacting with him. 
And if you think about it, all your healthy relationships are not just about having a connection, they're not just being in a relationship. It's about the amount of time or the amount of interactions you have. Whether it's talking, whether it's doing things together, it's, it's that interaction that makes it healthy. So I want to leave you with this. I'm going to put back up this picture. Who do you follow? You can follow your own self, like Simon, or you can be like that woman and say, you know what? I don't know what what Jesus is going to ask me to do, but it doesn't matter. Because right now my invitation is just to be with him and just express that we're connected. And really, that is what God desires in our relationship. He doesn't care as much as what we're going to be doing as what we're becoming. And if we're becoming more intimate, more connected with him, the doing takes care of itself. Because she did. She did do things. But there were some things that, that I'm sure she didn't plan. Maybe she planned to give the, the perfume to his disciples to sell, but instead she poured it out. Maybe her desire was just to see Jesus. And when, and when she saw Jesus, this overwhelmed her. His presence just overwhelmed her. And she, she had to give him a kiss. She had to, she had to wipe his feet. Because she saw they were dirty. And she saw that he was not being welcomed. And it said to her, this is not right. I'm going I'm to do something. God has that same invitation to you. Not necessarily in a specific thing, but if you come to him and you, you yield to him and you surrender your life to him, he'll show you what you need, what needs to be done. And it's going to flow from that love that you have. So that's what it means to follow. Right? That's what it means to follow, that, that there is no specific thing necessarily. That... that it's all about having a relationship or being involved with or what I think of, I've been trying to help people do is become more intimate with Jesus and truly have him as someone that we don't have to have words for. And when, when people see us interacting with him, they know we know him. <laughs>